Between the future of Roe v. Wade hanging in the balance of the U.S. Supreme Court and Virginians facing a basic test of humanity over whether they will continue allowing babies born alive to die, the stakes couldn't be higher leading up to the annual Virginia March for Life on April 27th. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, before we get into more serious topics, Victoria, I just feel like maybe I should ask you about Bo's, your dog, Bo's eating problems, because I've been a witness to this issue. The other day we were having a work meeting and there was all, it was by video, and all of a sudden there was all this yelling on your end, and apparently Bo had scarfed down some food sitting beside you, and... Apparently, this is not an isolated incident. Yeah, my dog has a knack, has a thing for people food. We give him his normal dog food. I promise you he gets fed. But he will steal food. If if there's food left on the table or left on the counter and people walk out of the room, and if you're gone long enough, he will steal food. And then lately, he's been going into our pantry. We now have to keep our pantry door closed because he will grab – we have, like, individual bags of potato chips that the kids take to school. <laughs> and he will grab one, and he will take it to his place. That's, like, his mat. And you'll find potato chips there. And then, yes, the bigger problem is the other day he did it in front of me, in the same room. I was in the room, and he took food. So we have a huge problem. And – you know, we are aware he's also now obese. He's overweight. And our vet has said, you guys got to stop slipping him food. And I said, it's not that. It's that we can't. We're just bad about putting it away immediately, getting it out of sight, you know, shutting the pantry door. It's, you know, he'll eat an entire stick of butter. So it's, it's, wow. it's he's not discriminate either. And so imagine how fat you would get if you ate sticks of butter that somebody <laughs> left out on the table at the end of a dinner. You know, it's, it's bad. Wow. It's like having another child around. I, you Well, yeah, because you have to close doors to, to access to food. you got to, I mean, now people should pick up their food. You know, it's not that hard to clear the table fully. Yeah, but, but somehow I have there. four children. And th- in this case, this is where it really gets bad is because... Because I was sitting right there and he took the Oreos right out from and it was I mean, he's a tall dog, admittedly. He's not a little guy, so he can reach surfaces and that that was a problem. Yeah, he's quick. He's quick too. It down. He's quick it's too. Gone. It's it's a problem. And so we've been trying to do a lot of walking because that dog needs to um, you know, work this out and So you need child locks, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good idea. We did elevate our trash can. We put our trash can in the kitchen on a stool because it was a foot pedal trash can. And he would push down the pedal so the lid opens and then stick his nose in and pull stuff out. And so now we've had to elevate our trash can so it's too high. You can't. So none of us can use the foot thing anymore. We just now have to lift now, the lid. Now, you're always kind of complaining that he might lack some intellectual capacities, <laughs> but he sounds pretty smart to be able to step on the trash can pedal. He's only smart when it benefits him. <laughs> I mean, he's smart enough, but I'm telling you, it's like a, it's like the bad kind of, um, it's like crafty. It's yeah. not academically smart or whatever you want to call it. It's not, it's not, I actually follow command. I mean, he's okay. He's a pretty good dog, honestly. Um, so he's smart enough, but yeah, he uses it in not so helpful ways. Yeah. There can be some human comparisons to that. (laughs) For sure. Well, to dive into the topic today, we have just a few weeks leading up to the Virginia March for Life on Wednesday, April 27th at the Richmond Capitol. So everybody mark that on your calendars. So today we're starting a two-part series covering what's at stake on the pro-life issues, both at the national level and right here in our own Commonwealth. Let's just start with the national scope And then maybe next week we can focus more on what's happening on life in our own state. 
And of course, the obvious thing that's top of everybody's mind on this issue is the Supreme Court's pending decision on Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization, the big Supreme Court case that we are all waiting with anxious hearts for the final decision to come out maybe sometime in June. I know a lot of people have already heard about this case, but Victoria, can you just give us a quick refresher on the big issues involved here? Yeah, I mean, this is a decision that they are going to have to make about whether a state, so this is Mississippi, whether a state has a right to limit abortion prior to the point of viability. So just to refresh people, viability is that point at which when a child is born early, they can survive outside the womb. So right now, viability is around 22, 23 weeks that a child, if they're born, is going to be you know, able to be okay, will be able to live. And Prior to this court decision, that's kind of been the court standard of what we can do around abortion is we can make rules that limit late term abortion because that's a different thing. And so this is Mississippi tried to ban abortion at 15 weeks. That's what they've put into place. And it's really a question of are that is the Supreme Court going to say that's legitimate and the state has a right to do that? Well, it's been really interesting to see how state lawmakers have been scrambling to prepare in anticipation of this huge decision that we all know is coming. And it's been really revealing to see the fault lines that have emerged in our nation on this issue. It actually reveals, I would say, a very real, not only cultural, but spiritual battle happening all across the United States right now over whether we as a nation will regard all human life at all stages, including babies in the womb, as sacred. And if you just look at the headlines playing out over the last few months, even the last couple of weeks, you can really see that, you know, what what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, we've so uh, examples we have uh, maybe one of the ones from a few months ago. You've got Texas, for example, passing a heartbeat law. That's kind of as early as we've ever seen an abortion law in the gestational development of an unborn child. This is a big deal. And they passed it and, of course, went through legal challenges. It actually has survived its legal challenges, which is interesting. Um, And then you right after that have Idaho, who basically modeled a law very similarly to Texas. Um, There's a few parameters that are a little different, but it's the same concept. And, of course, now it's going to Planned Parenthood is right there, even though they, they kind of lost in Texas. They're right there in, in Idaho, you know, following up, hoping to shut that one down. And then, you know, those are so those are the kind of the pro-life states moving forward, trying to do what they can before and, the Dobbs decision. And those are even earlier. That's six weeks. Yeah. Right, that, yeah. yeah. That's I mean, that's earlier than Dobbs. But if Dobbs opens that door, these states feel like they're going to be in an amazing position to be able to have their laws upheld. And then you've got the states that are more pro-choice or pro-abortion, I would say, um, that are quickly trying to ram through the opposite kinds of bills, which is really alarming. Um, So you've got Maryland, that's probably the, the worst example, where they're trying to basically decriminalize um, this idea that you would uh, actually need to care for an infant the moment that they're born in the case that there's a failed abortion or something like that. So, you know, we believe if a child, no matter what would they were trying to do abortion-wise before they're born, that moment they're born, they should be protected. So they're basically saying after 28 days after birth is the first time that you have to, by law, apply care or else there's going to be criminal sanctions. So let me get this straight. The way this is written, they're saying if the baby dies from neglect or something else almost a month after birth, no criminal penalties? Is that what we're looking at it's for the most part? It's absolutely unfathomable. It, it, I, I never imagined seeing a law like this. I never imagined that someone would proactively try to defend post-birth death. And yet we see that. That is happening. I think that's very disturbing 
a commentary on where we are at as a society. I think it's um, both sides trying to push to the uttermost extreme limits. And we obviously know they know it's a life in the womb. And so they are willing to take human life. It's just we're a little shocked to see they're still willing to take it after it's out of the womb. And that's that's the difference. But then you've also got these states. I don't want to forget about the states like California and Oregon who are basically saying we'll help all these, you know, pro-abortion minded people in these states that are starting to limit abortion. Let's go ahead and finance people to come to our states to have abortion. That's that's kind of horrifying. And the thing is, these laws do make a difference, good or bad. As a Washington Post article I read pointed out, in Missouri, which is a state with stronger pro-life and safety regulations, like a waiting period for women, you know, considering or getting an abortion, and requirements that doctors have to be involved in that procedure, only 167 abortions, as far as what was reported, I guess, were performed in a year in Missouri. While in that same time period in Arizona, a state with far less pro-life protections, there were something like 13,000 abortions in that same time period. So I don't think we can underestimate, even when it's incremental, the value, the saving life value of these protections for life. Uh, no question. That That is correct. When you just think about, um, and getting back to this sort of idea that we're seeing the national fault lines, you know, we're seeing which states are pro-life, which states are pro-abortion, and they're passing laws. But even these incremental laws are really important. But right now we've got something like 20 states, about 20 states that have either passed laws or they've got proposals to immediately end the practice of abortion, or at least unlimited abortion, you know, at least the, you know, for any reason, at any time kind of stuff. If the U.S. Supreme Court does in fact, begin to dismantle Roe in the Dobbs decision. So people are calling these trigger laws. They'll kind of go into effect if Dobbs were to go our way. And on the other hand, we have trigger laws or or ones that are also going to go into effect um, enshrining unlimited abortion into their state constitutions because both sides know the, the landscape is changing. Well, it seems like in the balance of things, there are more states that seem to be moving toward the pro-life side of the skills. Do you agree with that assessment? Do you think the majority of Americans are pro-life? I definitely see more states as a whole moving in the pro-life direction. That's been a general trend, and it's just kind of increasing, which is exciting to watch. And I think that Americans are becoming more and more pro-life. I don't know that I think a majority of Americans truly understand all the way down to the moment that there's DNA and the moment that there's, you know, that we have a human life and that we need to protect it. But I do believe once they see it in an ultrasound, once they see movement, once they then they're kind of going, this is terrible. And I do think they're with us with the overwhelming majority of pro-life laws. Yeah. And especially with the left kind of overplaying their hand and really going to where the logic leads them if they really follow through what they believe. And then we get to the place where the baby is left to die on the table. And this is being said out loud. Um, So maybe that's helping waking up more people to what the sanctity of life, human life really means. Yeah, I mean, we got to see that when our former governor, Northam, made that statement. A lot of people remember he made that statement about a baby being born alive. I mean, he the baby was born. It was left on a table. And then they were going to make a decision about it after birth. I mean, it wasn't just Virginia that was horrified. It was the entire nation. You heard about that on national news. But I just think if we can help people understand that the, the difference between that, that they were horrified, and abortion 
and, and you know, especially late term abortion is literally I tell people it's the difference between a birth canal and a few seconds. That baby right before it's born is of equal value to the baby right after it's born. We just have to help people understand that all the way through that gestational development, that child has value and that child is going to develop into the child we know when they come out of our womb. And so it's just from that moment of conception, if we can get people to understand that's the moment we need to protect. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. Well, as you were saying, Victoria, we are still in a heart-rending struggle over this issue. And you can really see that playing out in the culture as well as in the policy world. Because it seems like this anticipated court decision has kind of whipped the pro-abortion side into overdrive. Just to give one example, you have the former wife of Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. I think it's Mackenzie Scott. She dropped a cool $275 million on Planned Parenthood as if they need more money. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. I pretty much gasped when I saw that article because they already get so many of our tax dollars. I mean, this is this is a well-funded organization. In fact, I think I saw something where they get about one. They've gotten about one point eight billion with a B tax dollars over th- a three year period from like 16 to 18 or something like that. That the, they either get private donations or they get taxpayer money. But this is absurd that they're getting insane amounts of taxpayer money. And these celebrities still feel the need to drop these insane dollars into the abortion cause. Yeah. And speaking of donations, in that Washington Post article I mentioned earlier, they were describing this whole donation campaign going on right now among abortion clinics, including Planned Parenthood ones, close to the key state borders. They're accepting donations on the basis that abortion, you know, will could soon be limited in pro-life states. And therefore, they're going to fund the airline expenses and all the other costs to get women across state lines for these abortions. And what's interesting to me, though, I'm reading this article, and it kind of made it sound like Planned Parenthood is running this really benevolent charity service, which, as we know, is not the case. No, they are absolutely an industry in it for the money. We knew that. We found that out easily when we talked about things like, hey, you should have safety standards. And it's, oh, that was too expensive for them. But they can fly women into other states to have abortions. They're all Mm -hmm. about abortion. That's all this is. And to act like it's anything other than that is is just false. No, it's not about compassionate care for women. No, and I, when they say that, I want to croak because, the, you know, if you've met women who are post-abortive, right. the last thing they felt like was compassion was the fact that somebody talked them into, to, you know, taking the life of their unborn child. And we've had the testimony of people like Abby Johnson that have been inside that and seen that it's a business at its heart. Um, well, anyway, I just want to quickly mention another way abortion advocates are responding, and this is very important. This is going to be the next wave that we see. They are really pushing the use of chemical abortions or take-it-home pills. Um, there was this clip that went viral earlier this year after an abortion activist decided to take an abortion pill on live television. Let's just listen to this clip from a Fox News local station in Detroit. This this year is myth. Mifepristone, this is the first of two pills you would take to end a pregnancy, and it would induce an abortion, this very pill, um, by blocking the hormone and allowing a pregnancy to grow. And I want to show you how easy it is and safe it is by taking it myself. You're taking it. Are you? Are you not? Are you? You're not pregnant, are you? 
I would say that this is going to end uh, a pregnancy. Rebecca. This would be my third abortion. Wow. Well, I mean, we've been seeing these activists do more and more brazen things, be more and more aggressive to promote this as a positive choice. And boy, that that clip is a little bit shocking, I think, for most people to think about. But the bottom line is they are are pushing back because they know the tide has been turning and Americans have becoming been becoming more and more pro-life. Yeah, it was also heartbreaking with just kind of the apathy over this is my third abortion just the deadening of the heart involved in that is eye-opening yeah no question when we are talking about the born alive act a child born alive being entitled to certain medical care this is a basic test of humanity like delegate nick freight has said Virginians are facing a basic test of humanity. Will we continue to legally sanction leaving babies born alive to die on the delivery table? It's time to stand together for life. Join us on Wednesday, April 27th at the Richmond Capitol for the Virginia March for Life. Learn more at familyfoundation.org. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, you know, it's that time of year again when there's many public and political figures invited to speak at college campuses for commencement ceremonies and other events. But unfortunately, this is becoming an unwelcome reminder that large numbers of students no longer value free speech or public discourse or the opportunity to hear a viewpoint you might disagree with. It's it's absolutely a crazy situation on the college campuses right now. And they are basically saying anyone that has our beliefs on our side of the aisle are somehow because, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but this this Mike Pence thing that's going on is unbelievable. He is if you've ever I have had the fortune to actually meet Mike Pence, but and I've watched him speak a million times. He is the most peaceful, calm, non uh, offensive speaker you could possibly have on our issues. He was actually quite a contrast to to President Trump, who's a little bit more obviously in your face. Mike Pence is docile, really. Yeah. Well, ironically, former Vice President Mike Pence is now being labeled as a threat to the, quote, well-being and safety of students. And sadly, this is happening right here in the Commonwealth, the nation's birthplace of the First Amendment, at the University of Virginia. Mike Pence is scheduled to speak there for a lecture series. I don't know exactly what the topic is, but the sad thing, I thought, is this this whole thing is coming from the student newspaper. Cavalier Daily has called for the deplatforming of Pence. I mean, I just got to say, Victoria, I was a journalism student, and apparently journalism classes have changed a lot since I went to school, as they say, um, you know, since I went to college, because... When I went to journalism classes, we actually learned about the value of a marketplace of ideas, objectivity, and a free exchange of information. Yeah, apparently that's not a thing anymore. I think you've missed out. It has changed dramatically. And I just have to quote the editorial board of this UVA student newspaper. So here's what they said. Quote, for us, the answer is simple. Hateful rhetoric is violent. And this is impermissible. Violent. Wow. I think that does illustrate this deeper trend we're seeing among young people, our next generation of leaders, unfortunately, that words are considered the equivalence of violence. 
and therefore it's okay for Will Smith to smack the comedian. Just kidding. Well, no, really, I, you make a great point because honestly, the highest value in our society right now is what is what I would call psychological safety. People feeling okay about themselves. So if that's true, then if someone makes you not feel okay by saying something that might be contrary, then all of a sudden you've been attacked. It's a terrible situation. And, I, you know, it is not common for us to ever agree with The Washington Post. I mean, that's not usually where we stand. And uh, But I, I think we've actually come to an agreement here. I have to share what their editorial board said about all this because I think it's it, they've got a really good point. Their board pointed out that it's, quote, a constitutionally protected act to protest a politician whose views or, or record offend. It's another thing to deny him a forum. Well, I guess that means we need to give this week's Inconceivable Award to the UVA's student campus newspaper for trying to cancel speech that makes them feel unsafe, I guess you would say. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.